standing by for uh, Senator Durbin, who will join us in uh, in just a second. And uh, the guys in the booth, keep him on after we're done, because I had something to talk to him about off the air. I need him to fix some parking ticket stuff. <laughs> I think he's got no, bigger think, things on his mind. Yeah, no, I don't. And, and also, he doesn't do that. That's no, uh, just me being a fool. Too. So, it is uh, 8.17 now. You guys tell me when he's ready. Good to go? All right, standing by for uh, Senator Durbin again. We'll get to him in just a second. Obviously, it's a very busy morning in Washington. You know, um, our old producer, Ann Jensis, she was uh, a professor at Northwestern. Yes. And as a professor at Northwestern, um, she actually uh, taught um, Senator Durbin's daughter-in-law, now married to his son, Paul, and they've got uh, a new baby. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, so let's bring him in here. I was just saying, Senator Senator Durbin, I, I just saw a picture of your new grandbaby the other day. What a beauty. Uh, she is number six for us, and uh, she's up in Chicago, and we're spending more time with her, and uh, just it's going to be a joy this Christmas, so though she probably won't know anything about what's going on at age six months. <laughs> yeah, and we've got a five-month-old uh, little guy. It's our second, and uh, a little four-year-old Abigail. I mean, you know, until you're a grandparent, you don't know how much fun it is. It is a kick, uh, Steve. I'll tell you, we were kids when we had our kids and uh, uh, went through a, a, a lot of struggle, as all families do with, with uh, the first children. Uh, and uh, being a grandparent is like coasting. I mean, it's all fun. <laughs> you just enjoy them for several hours and hand them over to the parents and head on home. Uh, but we're having a joy uh, in, in the experience, and, and so, uh, so is my son and uh, daughter-in-law. We, we haven't talked in a while, and uh, we got to fix that because I always enjoy the fact that uh, you give us so much access on the show because you got important information to pass along as well for the people in Chicago and Illinois. But uh, I always, always uh, want to take an opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, too, before we uh, move on for that holiday season. Will you be here, or where will you be? I'll be in Chicago. We're having a gathering of the family in Chicago for Christmas Day and a few days after. Uh, it, they're coming in from New York and Washington, and we'll all be together. That's what it's all about. The opioid crisis, uh, when it comes to talking about families, is a scourge not just in Illinois but all over the country, but particularly devastating in the Midwest. What's being done? Not enough. And we had a hearing yesterday. Senator John Kennedy, Republican of Louisiana and I, I, are just uh, perplexed at what's going on at the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration. Now, when you hear that agency, you think, well, those are our friends. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that is the agency that approves the number of opioid pills that are manufactured each year in America. So I first got wounded. I didn't even know that, that, Steve, to be honest with you, until four or five years ago, 2016, I heard about this, and so we had a hearing, and I said, so how many bill, how many of these pills, opioid pills, are you approving for production in America mm-hmm. while we're in the midst of an opioid drug epidemic? And the DEA said, well, 14 billion. I said, wait a minute, million? No, billion. 14 billion a year That's for incredible. U.S. consumption? Turns out, fourteen billion is enough to give every adult in America, every single adult, a four-week prescription of opioids. And you think to yourself, "This is madness! Why are we flooding the market with opioid pills?" 
So I started raising hell, sending letters, calling people in, having meetings, doing what senators do for a living. And the next thing you know, they said, we got the message. This fellow testifies yesterday. We're now down to $8 billion. I said, wait a minute. $8 billion, that's enough for every adult to have a two-week prescription. It's way beyond what's necessary for medical purposes. So Senator Kennedy and I are just blowing up over this, and that's where it has to start. There's a lot more to be done, but for goodness sakes, to put all these pills on the market, we know what's happening. Yeah, and and to think about the fact that you started in 2016 with this, and we're three years down the road in a bipartisan way, and the DEA is not moving any quicker than this. It isn't. And the fellow was kind of taken aback. Wait a minute, Senator. We've reduced production by 55%. And I said, don't get me wrong. People with chronic pain need help. And some of them, opioids, are the only place to go. I always want to put that in any comment about this issue. But you and I know that the Center for Disease Control has said that the average doctor for the average pain episode, it's no more than three days of opioids. If you put a person on opioids for seven days, the likelihood is that 8% of them will be addicted to opioids a year later. And that's just a fact. Unbelievable. And, and so we've got to be thoughtful and careful about this. And what Senator Kennedy said, that he and I are in, in this together on a bipartisan basis, we've got to get the doctors on board, too. I mean, they should understand, as we all do, what leads to addiction. And they've got to be careful. Chronically ill people with serious pain, an exception. But when it comes to the average case, too many of them prescribe these pills when they're absolutely not needed and in quantities that exceed what's thoughtful. I know Northwestern Medicine is taken as seriously as it should be taken and, and taken action on it, but you have to assume or hope at least that everybody else is getting on board. And again, that's the power of the media, because the more we talk about this, the more pressures on people to do the right thing. And I'll tell you something else, Steve. Let's lay the cards on the table. 25 years ago, if someone said, oh, did you hear someone overdosed on uh, pills and heroin last mm-hmm. night? And you'd say, oh, man, I'll bet you that was an inner city person, you know, probably in their 30s, drug addict. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, wake up and smell the coffee. Because right now, it could be that white cheerleader in the suburbs. It no could question. be the kid who works on a farm downstate. I mean, it is. there's no town too small, no suburb too wealthy to avoid what's going on with opioids and drugs right now. Yeah, this is not a poor kid of color problem. This is an American problem. It is, across the board. And and as a consequence, we're waking up to the reality of addiction. Uh, it used to be just say no, you know, have the moral fortitude to take care of your problem. Now we know something. There's much more to it. It needs to be treated. And the most successful treatment involves some medication that is carefully monitored for the people involved. What about family leave? That's making news today. It should. Because I've introduced a bill with uh, Congresswoman Maloney of New York, and what we're doing is exp- expanding the Family Leave Act. Here's what it boils down to. If you ask most businesses and employers, what's your biggest problem today? They say finding qualified workers. We just can't find enough people. And that, of course, is a good thing, better than the alternative. But it also means that with the workers they have, I think that employers and businesses have to be more sensitive to family realities. That's what our bill says. The caregivers now in families go way beyond the obvious. 
spouses and children. And what we're doing is expanding the definition of people who can claim family leave. It, it could be an in-law, it could be an uncle, it could be a grandmother who is in fact a caregiver for somebody in your family who needs a helping hand. And as a consequence, you ought to be able to ask for family leave under this bill. Secondly, we expand it to parents uh, who, who need to meet with the teachers to talk about their kids at school. That's a pretty critical element in raising a child. That should be qualified, too. There is uh, the yelling has begun in the House and uh, the jockeying has begun in the House ahead of the vote to impeach President Trump later today. There is a question on whether or not when this impeachment, which seems like a foregone conclusion, happens, whether it will be immediately turned over to the Senate or not, or if there'll be some bargaining that goes on. Um, I guess I'm taken aback a little bit about how out front Mitch McConnell and uh, and also Lindsey Graham have been about they have no intent to be impartial. Um, while it may not be specifically covered that way in the Constitution, there is an oath of impartiality that has to be taken prior to this, isn't there? There sure is. There are about 15 of us in the Senate who were here for the Clinton impeachment. I remember it. You raise your right hand, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, administers an oath, and one of the things we pledge is impartial justice. That's the phrase we use. Now, don't get me wrong. Democrats and Republicans walking into the chamber may be leaning one way or the other based on what they've heard and said. But, you know, if this is truly going to be a trial, which is credible, and we're going to consider evidence in a careful, thoughtful way, then you at least have to have an open mind. And you have to be willing to put the facts in front of the Senate as well as the American people. I'm disappointed at this stage. I had hoped that Senator McConnell would have reached out to Senator Schumer, and he has not done that yet, to talk about a bipartisan approach. That's what happened with the Clinton impeachment. We recently had a meeting with uh, John Podesta, who was in the White House at the highest level during the Clinton impeachment. He said he was nervous as hell because the Senate was meeting in closed chamber all 100 senators, Democrats and Republicans, and talking about doing a bipartisan process. Well, he was nervous, and he should have been, because it was in our hands and not in his. Mm -hmm. That should be the case now. When it comes to the uh, impeachment trial of Donald Trump, uh, the Senate, I hope, will rise to the occasion and show common sense and bipartisanship. Uh, I guess I'd leave you with this. There just doesn't seem to be any concern anymore inside the Beltway about the opinion of those inside the Beltway. Um, doing their job, because when you come out and say, I have no intention to be impartial, you just reinforce the notion across the country that the system is so broken it can never be fixed, and it leads to what we had last election where 100 million people didn't vote. It's exactly right. And there's more and more of it today than there has been in in years past. And there are a variety of reasons for that. But if we're ever going to return civility and common sense and bipartisanship to our political process, you know, the voters just have to insist that those who take extreme positions uh, and don't have an open mind when it comes to working on both sides of the aisle really are not the people that we need to have leading this country. We've got to have more bipartisanship. I'm sure I can do a better job at that. I'll do my darndest, but everybody has to be held to that standard. You shouldn't bet during the holidays, but if you had to wager, will the Senate have this trial in January? Yes, I, I believe we will. The question is whether it will be a real trial with evidence 
with documents and witnesses. And at this point, Senator McConnell says, nope, we're just going to move this through quickly. Uh, take it or leave it. Let's finish it and move on. Uh, that's a mistake. This is a constitutional responsibility. It is the third time in the history of the United States it will have occurred. We need to take it seriously and do the job in a credible way. And I would just say to everybody, 321 days till Election Day 2020, and everybody needs to vote, no matter how cynical you've become about the process. It's the only way anything can be changed. Absolutely. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. My best to your family. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Thanks, Steve. That's Senator Durbin. It's 828. We're back with the news next on 720 WGN.